Well, 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 no Margaret Road nights, no producer, except for Jane, who's felt sorry for the old bloke, and she's decided to put us to air for an hour and walk out. She's so bored, she's eaten a very nice sandwich, making me feel really hungry. We actually have a guest, a live guest. That's right, we've been away for two weeks. I know you've been waiting for this. Because I wait for Radical Australia too. It's the most interesting hour on 3CR. And because I'm the, you know, it's my opinion. It's obviously right. Now we have with us an extraordinary human being. A man that has been mashed up on the ship and spat out. Mr. Patrick McPhee. Yeah, yes. Well, happy new year, Dr. Joseph. I, you forgot that I'd been backstabbed and betrayed. Really? Yeah, yeah. We'll find out about that as we yeah, go along. Yeah, as we go along. Have you heard about vivisection? Um, you know what that is? Well, I've met a few vivs in my time, but... <laughs> no, no, vivisection. That's when you kind of... Uh, yeah, well... Um, just dissect animals. I didn't think... You know we what were... live vivisection is when you, well, don't, you don't use anaesthetic. I thought we weren't going to get into the blood and, go- uh, blood and gore think straight up, but... Think of as a live vivisection. Well, um... You know, and you're, and, you're the, and you're the animal. Well, yeah, all right, I'm a chicken. You can cut me open no, and read, no, and no, read no, my no, entrails. No, yeah? Is that what chickens. it's about? I don't do chickens. Don't you don't do crocodiles. chickens. Yeah. Crocodiles after my... You didn't go to chicken school. large lizards. All right, now I'm going to be serious. I'm all ears. Well, you got two, which is an advantage. Well, no, you got a cochlear implant there. Um, no, I've, 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 I had a cochlear implant, but the cochlear rejected him. In the famous words of, yeah, you know, right. whatever. Uh, uh, look, uh, don't give up your day job. Leave the comedy to me, please. Yeah, no, no, two questions, two questions. All right, as you heard before, rack them up. Fifty-seven I'll, minutes. You, two you throw them up, I'll knock them down. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You don't have to be honest. You can actually pretend. Uh, you asked me if I could be trusted, and I told you I could, uh, no. Okay. Now, just to orientate our listeners, um, what year were you born? Come on, come on. You can remember that. Uh, no, I'm just deciding whether I'm going to tell the truth or not. No, I was born zero one zero seven sixty-five. Nineteen sixty-five. Yep. Year of our Lord. So you're over fifty. Yeah. Why don't I ever get an interview? Any young people in the studio? I'm forever I'm, young. Doctor. I think it's discrimination. I think it's discrimination. They refuse to walk in. Here. You think it's well, I, I actually did interview a 19-year-old once, and I'm thinking to myself, it's going to be hard. <laughs> this person, this woman, has only been on the planet for 19 years. What has she got to say? And by the end of the interview, I was putting me in place. Now, the second question... And you've yeah. got 56 minutes to answer it. No, I, t- I tend to agree with what you just said. Yeah. I've been putting me place, yeah. No, um, please. Well, some people are 75 and you interview them and you think, what a load of crap. You know, what have they done with their lives? And then somebody's 18 or 19, you interview them and you think, what an extraordinary life this person's already led. Yeah, a fresh set of eyes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's I like that fresh set of eyes. So what's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? Wow. I didn't expect this coming. I mean, I, when I spoke to you yesterday, you said, don't prepare. So it's going to come off the top of your head. I did not expect a question like that. But it's curious. So the first time I remember, I was, you know, I don't want to sound like a, um, you know, Paul Simon song, but um, I was laying in my bed and I heard out in the old orchard at my mm-hmm. grandparents' farm the sound of um, singing, chanting, rhythm sticks and didgeridoo. And it's sort of stuck with me ever since. Really? How old yeah. do you think you were? Uh, I could just walk. 
Yeah. Uh, walked out. I can remember walking out. I wasn't allowed to because there was a lot of snakes around and that. Yeah. But um, I walked out and I was looking for where this noise was coming from. And I walked out into the orchard and found that there was no one there. But the memory of it, the sound, um, it was unmistakable. And it's never... Um, and there's a few other memories, of course, that uh, come from early childhood, but oh, that's the one that, that's so lingering. That's you, the one that lingers. Do you think it was real? Um, Where was the orchard? In a place called Buxton, uh, oh, which right, is not far from Melbourne. Yeah, it's in the, the it's by the Akron River, underneath the, what they call the Cathedral Mountain, in between Buxton and Arbuthong, yeah. and uh, they had an orchard there. And I've got my own suspicions about why that sound was there. Well, but what, I was what, I was too young to be told. I was it was before television, so what, for what, some reason or what, other, what it's are your real. That my 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 guess is the years have gone by because I'm talking about 50 years ago. My mm. guess is that there was some dirty work done. There, what? Dirty work, right? Uh, down down there, and uh, right. the the noises can only be heard as a child. Right. Right. That's my. That's so, so you think it's, so mis- it's a mystery to me. It's so a mystery. Think, so you think it was um, obviously a possible murder massacre site? I, most definitely. Most definitely. If you've been there in between the Cathedral Range and the Akron River, mm. you'll quite quickly perceive that um, that place is choice. It's down the bottom of the Yarra Valley, yep. and it is prime, absolutely prime. What was used to be considered agricultural land, but mm. if you look at it in a different way. It would have been a place where, you know, always was, always will be. Yeah, well, Aboriginal. people would have met and... Um, you betcha. Yeah. And I think that's where the orchard came from, and that's why I think in my child's mind that I could hear... You could hear that. I could hear that. And uh, I think a lot of people probably have the same recollections that they remember things from when they were three or four years old, just when they got to walk, and they weren't as confused as adults are. That mm. they remember things that maybe they don't make sense until you're a lot older. But that's that's my first memory, yeah. Do you think the, the earth sings to us? Do you think it's got a memory? Yes, I do. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm blue-eyed and white-skinned. I, I look at the... I, been a, somewhat of a student of um, Lamarck mm-hmm. um, and the synthesis between Lamarckian and Darwinian thinking and I, yes I do I think that there's uh, a song that continues it's attached to, it doesn't modify our DNA or, but it is attached to and that yes the country sings and yes the experience of your forebears, your ancestors if you like is carried through to the progeny. Yeah, I believe in that. All right, okay. So, your parents, were they uh, born in Australia or they came in from overseas? <coughs> uh, both of them have similar histories. My father was born in, in he was born in Tari. Look, if you, want, if you want to cough, you're allowed to cough. Don't worry about it. It's just live radio. That's natural. Can I smoke? Yeah. Well, not in the studio, mate. Sorry. No. Oh, that's no good. No, but either way... To answer your question, which is, is really quite pertinent, it's germane to this whole... My father, his family came from Scotland. They arrived here in 1852. 1852. Yeah, they were pastoral workers. They weren't right. gold diggers. Right. And then my mother's family, they were so typical of that generation that they they fled to this country when 
the Germans started bombing in 1939. Right. Um, so where was she from? Uh, Sussex. Sussex, right. Yeah, and then London, and then so so she was born in 37, mm-hmm. went from Sussex to London, and then as soon as the bomb started, she fled with her family and the rest of them, like so many did. Right. They uh, came out in 39 to avoid the war. So you can see, you know, it's a bit of a... My background is whether it's the... From the, on my father's side or my mother's side, they, they basically came like so many people. They came to this country running away from something else. Mm. Yeah, looking for a new life. Yeah, totally. themselves. Totally, totally, yeah. yeah. It's very hard to reinvent yourself in a world where you've got instant communication, but in those days people reinvented themselves constantly, you know? It, yeah, it was, a, a, it was a necessary thing, and I think yeah. that's what really is a standout about living in not just uh, in Melbourne, but in Fitzroy, that you find that people uh, get arrive here, they come from a long way away, mm. and they, when they settle in, they don't move, they don't go somewhere else, they stay here. Excuse me, did you just use the F word? Um, I don't, I don't use b- b- bad language, no, Doctor. You put Fitzroy. <laughs> You're funny. I'm going to use the C word in a minute. That's <laughs> like Carlton or Collingwood. But. Exactly. Well, you, you realise that uh, nobody in Fitzroy listens to 3CR, and has we got a guest who actually lives in Fitzroy? You actually live in Fitzroy? Um, yeah, well, yeah, more or less. No, it's, it's all right. It's all right. Yeah. And, and you're not a yuppie <coughs> either. Well, I'm not apologising. I mean, it's no. not like I live in Queensland or something like that. I don't have to. No, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I've lived all my life, more or less. So where were you born? Just across the arrow. My parents were, you know, I was one of the lucky ones. We grew up around Camberwell. Camberwell. uh, But then, you know, once you... Once I fled the nest, um, I ended up living around the inner city of Melbourne. And hang on, stayed hang that on, way hang ever on, since. Hang on, hang on. You're a Camberwell boy. Well, you can you can scratch the surface, but you might pick a scab. Yeah, yeah. But go on, go on. So, you, so primary school, where'd you go? Oh, what is this? Am I on the couch or something? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I've got to lay back. The only we, good thing is I don't give you a bill at the end of the session. Well, you tell, you've said people what my surname was, so they know already. I was, <laughs> I was sent to a. Um, it's it's actually quite half interesting. It's yeah, well, that's why I'm asking. All right. Well, I, I went in primary school to a place called Press Hill, which is Press Hill, Press Hill. Oh, Press Hill, right? Yeah, yeah. It's at the top of the hill, yeah. up in Kew. Yeah. And um, then um, it, I was, as I say, one of the lucky ones. I got sent to uh, another private school, uh, which was uh, another one in Kew called Trinity. Well, was this 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 is this is high school? Is it a primary school still? No, this is after this is uh, what they used to call form one to four three, oh, and right. and then I ended up at a place called Kingswood College in Box Hill. Wow, you're a product of the private education system, Patrick. Yeah, I am. I'm I'm I'm, I'm like I'm like a meringue. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah I was whipped right. with with egg whites. I was well, telling yeah, you. Yeah. Oh, well, it looked that way. So, all the old man and. Mum did for a, for a crust. For a crust? Yeah. Well, I mean, you were able to provide, um, unless you were a genius and you got a scholarship to go to these places. Well, I'll tell you a funny story about that sort of thing about where the money comes from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I was a shifty little kid. Yeah, well, that's nothing unusual. Look at you now. You're not surprised, are you? <laughs> not at all. No. I got a look at his fee book one day when he, he walked out of his office. What oh. do you mean, fee book? What did he do? 
Well, it wasn't actually an office. It was called Chambers. Ah, Chambers, right. His Chambers, right. Mm. Look at his fee book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the numbers in that book mm. were something that would it would take your breath away. So, the, so suggesting he was a QC for the uh, low life who had money. Uh, no, he was a QC for the high life that had lots of money. <laughs> <laughs> but the funny thing was, you know, like a lot of these characters, they they have a taste for the day to day life. Like my dad, he he had a taste for going to the racetrack and yeah. the football and yeah, yeah. yeah and he shared an office adjacent or chambers adjacent to a guy who I ideally miss as a guy who died last year called uh, Brian Burke right. who was uh, also he was a QC and he specialised he did he earned big money for for working <laughs> he, he, he did a bloody good tracks. he did a bloody good job of it too yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So what, that's you, where the money came from. Did you know him personally or Brian Burke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, was, what, what stands out in your mind about him? I saw him in court and um, he was someone, you, would, you wouldn't call him a renegade by any measure. It, I mean, this guy was a Jesuit. He was trained by the Jesuits. Right. Um, but when he got into court, he took control and um, he just single-handedly could take on all of the police, all of the prosecutors. He could take on the magistrate. He could take on anybody that was in that courtroom, and he'd do it single-handedly. Mm. He had hair coming out of his nostrils, coming out of his ears. <laughs> and he was just one of those guys who was just so impressive. Was it hum- hum- Humphreys of the Bailey or something, was that called? That, yeah, Rumpole. Uh, Rumpole, he's a Rumpole. He's an Australian well, Rumpole. no, 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 yeah. Rumpole, Rumpole was a guy that you might meet in a pub. This yeah. Brian Burke, he, if, if, just to refresh some people's memories, he, yeah. he actually, um, he was present at um, Ronald Ryan's execution right. and um, defended a long litany of um, high-profile cases. But he was um, one of those people I'd I'd consider to be, you know, really it's hard to define how you put your finger on, on people like that, but he was a, I don't know, a renegade. I don't know, a renegade. No, no, he wasn't. Was he a dissenter? No, he wasn't. He was very orthodox. I mean, he was a pinstripe, you know, Jesuit educated QC. Was he a deviant? I don't know. Well, it doesn't matter, does it? No. It doesn't, and so... So, so he, he defended Ronald Ryan, did he, that he went to the execution? Or? Yeah, he was. He was a witness to the execution. Did he yeah. talk about it? I didn't speak to him about it directly, but right. he's spoken about it in public before, right. so it's a matter of record, and mm. he died, as I say, last year, so I'm sure anything I say about him is not going to be, you know, intemperate. Mm. No. no. No, no, he's a terrific, terrific fellow, mm. and I know him to have done a lot of pro bono work for people who... Otherwise, we're considered down and out or going nowhere, mm. except for the big house. Right. He, he was the sort of bloke that stepped in and stopped it from happening when it shouldn't happen. Well, he was one of those sorts of blokes. Yeah, you have Mr. Patrick McPhee, young lad, a bit shifty. You know, <laughs> Trinity College graduate. Yeah. You know, what did you learn at Trinity College? Anything about life? Well, the, the senior master that kicked me out. Like, Excuse me, he kicked out a QC son. What's going on here? Well... He was the senior master of discipline. <laughs> discipline. They had a senior master of discipline. They had a senior master days. of discipline. And right. he, I got called into the office for 
reasons I won't go into. <laughs> no, but, we don't want to do that. But um, he said to me, if you haven't got a decent excuse... Yeah. Uh, and I said to him, well, look, either you're going to have to leave or it's going to be me. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, at that stage, I was 15. 15. Here you are, senior master of discipline. You said it's either you or me. Yeah, that's right. All right well, you got a bit yeah. cocky, you know. And, well, you know, you've been hanging around too many QCs, I reckon. Your old man kind of made you a bit cocky, didn't he? I'll tell you, my, my father was not impressed. He was sitting right next to me. And he, he was he, actually in the office. He was sitting next to you. Yeah, there's a moment. Uh, they'd recently got divorced, so it was oh, really right. quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> they divorced <laughs> and you brought them together because you'd, <laughs> yeah, you'd the only time it. I ever saw them sit together right. was when I was getting expelled. Right, right, yeah, right. It was very funny. Uh, I won't say his name because... No, no, no. He, he must but still he's be dead. alive. He's oh, dead. No, no, he's dead. He's dead. But the reason that he's dead... I know, don't tell what you did him in. No, it's a matter of public record. Yeah. Yeah, he was the senior master of discipline, and um, yeah. they let him out on parole <laughs> when he was uh, convicted, after he was convicted of um, abusing a number of children that were at right. the school. Mm. And they gave him the opportunity, and he shot himself. Right. And so I've got the happy. <laughs> if you ask me where I went to school, I can I can tell you that the bloke that kicked me out was the same bloke that shot his brains out oh. after being busted for right. abusing multiple children at the school. Yeah. So yeah. that was back, you know, it was back yeah. in the seventies, yeah. Doctor. You know, yeah. that's the way things were. They were pretty groovy, you know. People oh, were playing yeah. nude twister and all that sort of stuff. That's right. Yeah. So what happens to a fifteen-year-old who's been expelled from Trinity College? His parents are divorced, or just looking at each other in horror? Uh, one. Finds a job. You got a job at 15. Yeah, yeah. The day I was born, and here we go again. I mean, you know my surname, and you know my date of birth. Yeah. I told you it was zero one zero seven six five. Oh, yeah. So I was born at the start of the financial year. So the day I turned 15, <laughs> I signed a tax declaration and started work at a, a, a motorcycle shop in the in the in the city. Motorcycle shop. How old were you? I mean, you're 15. What year was this? Oh, just the day I turned 15. So it's 1980. 1980. The date. Motorcycle shop. The 1st of July. It was a Tuesday. Why, why a bloody motorcycle shop? I love motorcycles. Even at 15? Well, you betcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And you. so then in the thing sort of cascaded out from there, and more or less I was on my own from that point on. Yeah. But you're on your own. Did you have any brothers and sisters? I've got two older brothers. Yeah, yeah. good did boys. Anybody, did anybody say, "Look, poor old Pat, he's left the rails"? Maybe put him in another private <laughs> school. Did anybody? Now that's a joke. Surely that's a joke. No, 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 no. Look, my brother's busy guys. You know, my yeah. elder brother Richard, he was off getting a law degree, and, uh-huh. and my other brother Hugh, he was uh-huh. off doing his. He's doing his thing. He's ended up with getting three or four degrees and yeah. stuff. Yeah. They were, but you. St- Went to a motorcycle shop in the city. Was it the city, did you say, or Brunswick? Elizabeth Street. Elizabeth city. Street, yeah. Where else would you have go? To? So, how did you get the job? Did you just walk in and say, I want a job? No, the, the, the school. There was like a, a career council or something like that. The next school I went to, they didn't want to keep me there where, where was the next school? Uh, it was a place called Kingswood College, and a great, really good school. Right, it was at right. the top of the hill in Box Hill, but. They didn't want you. There was a guy, you know, Max. Yeah, Max was the teacher, Max Thompson. Yeah. He was a terrific bloke. Yeah. And um, he was one of the only conscientious objectors in the Vietnam War, actually. Mm-hmm. But he, he he seemed to realise that, I, you know, I was going nowhere at school. Right. And so he lined me up with this job at the motorbike shop. And I went off there and then spent a year or two there. And then I went back to school and went to university and carried on from there. What did you learn in the motorcycle shop as a 15-year-old? 
That's a good question. Good, you're full of good questions today. You've really surprised me, Doctor. I, I, I didn't think this... I really am. I'm on the couch. You are on the couch, yeah. What did I learn? Um, I, I learned that... Um, that my experience there was that life was a great leveller. Mm. I met people who had not had, you know, like I've just described to you, they didn't have a, um, they weren't one of the lucky ones. Mm-hmm. You know, there were people there that were on their way in or out of jail. There were people who, um, whatever, you know, and like on Saturday mornings, for example, I remember quite clearly that, um, there'd be people who'd turn up that were, well, what we'd normally commonly know now is like bikies, but they may or may not be wearing patches or or, or colours. But there was also police officers that would either come in in uniform or maybe they were on their weekend. But they'd come into the spare parts counter and you'd find that there were people, you know, that were standing shoulder to shoulder. But it was, if you like, their day off. And you sort of meet, what I learned, what, to answer your question is, well, I, I guess I learned over the, the few years that I worked there, was that the, some of these experiences can be a great leveller. It certainly straightened me out. Mm. Yeah. What do you mean straighten you out? Did you need straightening out at 15? That's a good question. No, I didn't. I was actually, apart from getting kicked out of school, I was really quite well behaved. But I, I think it reminds me of... Um, something I was told my father who was in the military mm. that the thing that he learnt when he was in the military is that when you get exposed to people from you know various backgrounds that otherwise weren't predicted for you that you can take from that that you you, you, you get a levelling experience yeah that's what I took away from it I met people from all over all over the joint and um, you know some of them I'm still friends with Mm. Yeah, but that was the institution, wasn't it? I remember going in the 1980s to Elizabeth Street, <laughs> and you'd go to the bike shop on a Saturday. Yeah. You know, and that was just a Melbourne quint- quintessential, whatever. Quintessential. <laughs> Thank you. Quintessential Melbourne experience, wasn't it? It's not like it is today. I mean, no, no. when they, they, they used to line up the bikes, and yeah. they'd line them up from around Lonsdale Street and right up Elizabeth Street, and yeah. it wasn't just the people who were selling motorcycles. It no. was people would come over from all over the That's state. Right. Yeah. It was a big deal. It was you know? a big deal to get there on Saturday. On oh, the yeah. It. it was a big deal. And then after that, because in those days they used to shop the uh, close the shop at like midday on Saturdays, yeah. and yeah. most shops were open on Sundays, so people would go up to the Kew Boulevard, mm. and there'd be like 200, 300 bikes up there yeah. and this is before the police had helicopters yeah. um, <laughs> and people yeah right you can imagine what happened yeah. so they're going backwards and forwards all Saturday afternoon long yeah. it was a it was a scene now, 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 now young Patrick you would have been too young for a license were you riding motorbikes in those days <laughs> you can tell us there's nobody listens to the, nobody listens to this program so uh, you're safe you're safe He's a, he's a, I think this question's made Patrick a little bit uncomfortable. It reminds me of something my brother once told me. He said, I think it was Herman Goring once said <laughs> that every time he hears the, hears the words browning, he reaches, every time he hears the word culture, he reaches for his browning. browning yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes, Doctor, I was. Oh, so when did you start riding bikes? 10, 12? 6, 7. 6, 7. All right. And what were you riding? Uh, what you see now as being an 
a posty bike. It was like right. an agricultural bike. It was on the farm. Yeah. And then I escalated from there. By the time I was, you know, it was, you know, by the time I was 16, mm. it was like I was going to join the circus. Right. You were that good. Yeah. 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 You've seen those men and women in those little metal bubbles with their motorbikes. Have you seen that? Well, you, did you do that, Pat? Mm. I did a lot of I did a lot of stupid stuff on motorcycles, that's for sure. But that was you got to understand, Doctor. Back in those days, you'd put on the television set and you'd see evil, evil can evil be jumping right. a casino. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not making any judgments. I'm just interested. Some interesting things you did with bikes. They don't have to be legal. Yeah, well, I mean, you're the one that's just been to the Northern Territory. I mean, I'm sure you've seen a bit of, you know, a bit of the, you know, the, the, the argy-pargy that goes on yeah, when yeah. you get out on the road. I, I just don't want to, you know, particularly talk about myself that much. Or, well, we're not talking or, about yourself. We're talking about your love of bikes. That's the difference. All right, yeah, I fell in love with them. Yeah. Absolutely. Why? Cra- why? Why? It's a good question. I think one of these, it reminds me of some of the questions I was asked like whether with the Pipsy Mob or the Defender and Extend Public Housing, they ask good questions, you know, and a good question deserves a good answer. The, um, I guess, the thing about motorcycles, and it's uh, it's sort of a it's sort of it's a theme, is that some people like that sense of control, individual control. It could come from surfing or mm-hmm. from. Oh, it, could, it could be anything. It could be bushwalking or horse riding or whatever like that. But that sense of personal control, that maybe a, a sensation of freedom, yeah. Uh, limited control, you know, I can control this, but, it, you know, there's limitations to it. Yeah, and that appealed to me as a, as a young person, yeah. How about, how about the uh, dicing with death? Well, that's a curious question. That We don't think about it. Say so if you're doing 200 k's an hour, do you yeah. think about it? Because I'm sure you've done that. Yeah, I, I'm. Th- th- look, that's again, it's another good question. And I was asked this question by um, when we were having dinner at, at Porchetta about why did you stop riding motorcycles? And I was talking to you know a couple of people there, mm. the same same sort of thing. Um, you, I pushed it to the limit. Um, and got to a point where I suppose the, the apparent senselessness of it, like like a lot of these things, a lot of the reckless behaviour that I was doing when I was younger, it's sort of not like an epiphany or a road to Damascus or mm. you know crossing the Rubicon or anything. But the answer to why I stopped riding motorcycles is that I'd done too much of it. Mm. I mean, I'd I'd been too fast. I'd been too far, I'd been too long mm. I was lucky to get away with it yeah. so I stopped it and you, uh, here I am to tell you about it. Yeah. Did you actually have any serious accidents during that period? What do you calculate as being serious? Oh, hospitalisations? No. no. So what, you were pretty good at coming off? Yep. Mm. Yeah, I learned it young when um, if you lose it going around a corner you learn how to roll mm. if you um I used to do a lot of those sort of things, like tricks, like um, like pulling monos, you know, when you pull it up on the back wheel. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and then you flip it. And, uh, 
then you hurt yourself and you've got to put new handlebars on the bike. <laughs> but then there's other things you do where you jump them. Mm. You get on the bike and you, 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 you get it onto a ramp and you jump it. You're going to jump this or that or the other. You think you're evil Knievel. Mm. And then you go through that whole process of pulling monos and doing jumps mm. and then you get to realisation, I don't know, um, <laughs> and you just don't do it. You just put it, you stop it. Yeah. It's got something to do with mortality, or well, a sense of mortality. Yeah, a yeah. sense of mortality. You get to a, some people say it's growing up. Well, I said to one of you, your, your com- comrades, um, mm. that, that that was the answer to it. It was really what happened was when my grandparents died and a few of my friends died, I looked around and thought what I, what I was doing it was just stupid, you know, riding motorbikes and playing pool and... Drinking in the pub every night and all that sort of caper. All right, we'll get back to that in a minute. I'm going to give you a bit of a break. It's, we do a station identification. Oh, I now. thought you were going to do all the talking. I come no, in here no, thinking no, I just no, have no, to no, fill no, the gaps. No, 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 no. Look, it's like this. You and I are in a canoe. You're in one end, I'm at the other. I've got the paddle. I, <laughs> I see an interesting tributary. We go up that tributary. And then we come back down and we find another interesting tributary. All my job is is to actually get you to talk so listeners learn about Patrick McPhee. No, well, they've learned all they need to know, I tell you. No, um, no, there's a lot more. You, you're giving us some openings. <laughs> you, but you, you have a rest. You have a rest for a minute. I've got to do a station identification, all right? Yeah, well, Look, I, it's 4.31. It's 4.31 on the 9th of January, 2019, the Judeo-Christian calendar. This is Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program will be podcast. So if the police are knocking on the door, or if the local bikey wants some sugar for his meth lab, relax. You won't miss much. It's podcast. You could catch up with it later on. It's Community Radio 3CR, 855 on your AM dial. And considering the poverty of commercial radio on the ABC during the so-called holiday period, you should be honoured to listen to a man like Patrick McPhee. <laughs> now, how's that, Patrick? I'm just excuse me while I choke. I listen. Have you, have, you, have you listened to bloody radio at the minute? What? You turn on the radio and you turn it off. It's disgusting. It's horrendous. I accidentally and, my, these, and these people get paid for it. We don't. We're volunteers. My cat accidentally <laughs> bumped on the button the other day. Right, 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 right. And it ended up on one of them stations. Oh yeah. And they were telling me about what they watched on television last night. That's and what right. they're going to have for dinner tonight. Yeah, that's good. And whether they like or don't like their new smartphone. And we pay for that. If it's the ABC, we pay for it. It's, 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 it's dreadful. Dreadful. Let's get him back to you, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Let's not you know, about it's, the only, it's the only thing I know I right, talk right. about. Yeah. So, so, pool playing. That sounds interesting. Yeah, well, it is. I, I got, I got really the, the biggest, um, leapfrog moment I got from, was from Dolly Lindrum, who was the niece of Walter Lindrum. What? You didn't sleep with her? Excuse me. <laughs> I was. I mean, like, you said the biggest thing. <laughs> no, she showed me how to play. She showed you how to play. Yeah, she knew how to play. Well, you better believe it. Yeah, yeah. The only reason she wasn't allowed into the international circuit was That's that she was a woman. She's a woman, yeah. and also she was sort uh, shorter, a shorter, diminutive sort of woman, and she had a bosom, and the way that they set the heights on the tables, oh, she okay. couldn't stretch over the table. Did you meet her? I was working at the Herald in Flinders Street, the old Herald in Flinders Street. And hey, that's hang when on, hang on. When did this happen? It was 87 through to um, 94. What were you doing at the Herald? It was a journo. Hmm? A journalist. Hmm. Oh, 
crime journalist? What type of journalist? Uh, there's a lot of different sort of, you know, descriptions. I was like what you'd probably describe as a production journalist, but um, no, on my no, on my no. tax certificate no, it said no. journalist, so journalist. I was a journalist, yeah. So what did you do? I specialised in, in um, production techniques, uh, computer systems. Uh, so you were at the cutting, information. Edge, cutting, edge, cutting edge in that period? Yeah. Yeah, right. and so so during the day, I'd I'd take a break every hour or two, and I'd go next door. They had a place called Lindrums, which was the old Walter Lindrums place in Flinders Street. And right. at that stage, Dolly was running it, and I'd go there, and then no one else around, and I just used to shoot frames. I'd shoot, you know, I'd shoot ten twenty in the morning, ten mm-hmm. twenty at lunchtime, ten twenty in the afternoon, and after a few years, um, Dolly came up to me and said, you know, it's you know, I'd like to show you a thing or two, and I got talking to her, and she showed me a few techniques, and and uh, by that time, you know, I was sort of in my mid twenties, and I must have played, you know, hundreds of thousands of games of pool. Hundreds of thousands. Yeah, I started playing hundreds when I was of thousands. Yeah, I started playing when I was ten. Right. So, by the time I got to the age of twenty-five, yeah, I could, I could shoot pool. Yeah. Hmm. Did, you, did you go in any competitions, or you just no, steal I'd, money off people by pretending? Not no, to I'd never do that, doctor. I, I got invited, you know, and I, got, I went round and played the pubs around Melbourne. But I very, very quickly learnt that it's not a good idea in Melbourne <laughs> to <laughs> go round <laughs> winning pool competitions. Exactly, <laughs> it's the worst mistake you can make. Especially in the late eighties, early nineties, you no. know, pub rock. <laughs> I remember going down to there's this large pub. I won't I won't finger, uh, finger it, but there's a large uh, pub in in Richmond. Uh, uh, and we went down there one Sunday morning, and I cleaned up. <laughs> and this was like I'd, I'd never even been drinking in this joint, right? And I just turned you up, just walked in and cleaned up. I just walked in. I got out of a cat cab, walked in and cleaned up. Ooh. And I can tell you, the boys, the local boys in Richmond, they were not. It's and I'm like. So at the end of the thing, I just threw it and, you know, threw the money back in. Yeah, it's but like it, a... It's not a good idea to get around this town yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. and clean up everybody's money off a pool table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good way to get your arms I, broken. I, I can, well, I understand. I, I did something like that once. Not pool, but uh, I was coming back. It was holiday time around Christmas and I was bored. I went into a pub and uh, bought a beer and I saw a poker machine and... <laughs> This is a true story. You hit the jackpot, right? Uh, yeah, I put put a coin in. I hear all these bells and things. And yeah. I kept playing, and people came racing up, and I'm thinking, what's going on here? <laughs> They'd been waiting for this jackpot to go for about right. two years, yeah. and I cleaned up nine and a half grand. Bang. <laughs> <laughs> and you're right. It was hard getting out of the place. Because all of- these people... Oh, it's in Caulfield. In Caulfield. Yeah, there's all, there's all these people that had kind of been looking at this and, you know, yeah. it and putting in their life savings through it and, yeah. and this idiot walks in and has a beer and puts a few coins in and bingo. Oh, it's funny. So it's the same thing. It's the same thing. You go yeah, to it's the same thing, all right. Clean up. Yeah. yeah. I, I, last time I, I put a dollar in a poker machine, it was I was out in uh, near my mother's place. It was yeah. out in uh, Hawthorne. Yeah. And um, sitting next to this person, and likewise, I hit the jackpot. This is <laughs> right. like, I don't know what it was. It was yeah. smaller than yours, but it was yeah. about like twelve hundred bucks or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And I just. Um, <laughs> Felt sick. Yeah, I just said that's the last time I'm going to touch a poker machine for the rest of my life. Uh-huh. And I'm, so there's a guy on the left of me and a, a woman on the right. And so I got the cash out 
and I, I just gave them both a hundred bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so here's a hundred, here's a hundred yeah, for yeah, you, hundred yeah, for me. You know, yeah, I'm out of here. Yeah. And this woman told me a story about how her husband has left her. Yes. Her children won't speak to her anymore. Right. She'd lost the beach house. Right. <laughs> They'd had to sell the family house. She'd lost all of the savings and you know all the investments and everything. Yeah, She'd yeah. ploughed down something like five hundred thousand or more. I can't even remember yeah, for, the numbers. For, for the pokies, but yeah. that's what poker machines do to well, people. They do. They do. They just and them. they hang around looking for the for the jackpot. Yeah, and the jackpots aren't much at all. And there's people like you and me that get them. <laughs> it must 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 make them spew in their jocks. Oh, it does. It does. All right, look, look, this sounds like a misspent youth, mate, you know. Uh, no, I'm doing Journalist best. for the Herald Sun, pool, alcohol, expelled from school. Who said alcohol? You told me that. Did I? Yeah, mm. you said you'd have a drink and play pool and... Yeah. Yeah, all right. Yeah. All these things. All right, well, you know, so... Um, <laughs> mid-90s, so where's life heading for Patrick McPhee? Well, uh, I suppose... You probably some people out there probably think I'm something of a radical. Really? I don't know what a radical is, Doctor. No, but no. what was a radical back then is probably different to what's a radical now. That's right. It's all identity politics these days. Yeah. Well, I was hanging around with people that they're a bit, you know, fuzzy in the head. Like who? You don't have to name what? names. What type of people? What type of things were they involved in? Well they were studying law. Uh huh. Economics. Right. That's right, you went to uni, yeah. Yeah, and one of them's now a senior magistrate, another one's a, like a senior barrister, another one's a, you know, does these sort and of And you're in here talking to me, I know, who's, lo- who's lost out. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, if you, I, I, I catch up with these people, you know, like after about 30 years, I give them a call on the phone and say, listen, you know, I haven't spoken to you for a while, I want to come and talk to you. Yeah. So we sit down and have a chat, yeah. scratch the surface, they're just the same. Yeah, you know they were radical back then, and even though they, if you like, might have gone straight yeah. since the nineties, <laughs> yeah. they're still when you scratch the surface, they're still. What was like, radical back then in the nineties? What were you doing? Goodness me! I hope everybody's dead. <laughs> <laughs> our, our claim to fame, I suppose. What was it in the nineties? Yeah. Jeez, we got up to some mischief, I'll tell you. The the one I remember, it was a little bit earlier than the 90s because the, the 90s were a little bit different. There, mm. It wasn't a time of political action. As I remember the 90s, it, yeah. it wasn't like... But it was mm. back in the 80s. We did a thing called uh, Operation Judas. They had a thing called Operation Noah. And no, that's yeah. tell, tell people what Operation... I remember, but tell people what Operation Noah was. Well, back in, what was it, 1984, mm. I think it was, 84, 85, the, the police had a program called Operation Noah, which stood for narcotics, opiates, amphetamine and hashish. And it was basically an open invitation for next-door neighbours to dob each other in. Mm. And the cops would go around there and they'd rip off your plants or, you know, yeah. rip off your stash. Or in those days, yeah, the cops were basically part of the industry. They were the industry. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's right. I'll try to be polite. There were a few other Look, ones. I mean, you're, you're, you're responsible for 3CR's broadcasting licence. It's not me. I'm a, I'm a guest. <laughs> right, I'm just talent, right. you know. Well, it's just history. It's your opinion. Anyway, so they, they announced this big thing. And hello to all you people out there, particularly Clive Bennett, if he's still alive. He was the chief detective of the 
you know, the narcotics bureau. G'day, Clive. <laughs> but um, so we we got smart, you know, yeah. and we called out this campaign called Operation Judas, right. <laughs> which was a campaign which invited people to call us up and tell us all these stories about. How they got busted and how they got ripped off and how they right. got, yeah. That's a and, bit dangerous in those days. Uh, people used to disappear. Yeah. I was not surprised to get death threats in the mail. Yeah. But the guy I was working with, he's now, um, you know, I won't, I won't name him, but, um, yeah. he's now a chief magistrate and, um, a couple of other people that now they're senior barristers and stuff like that. So, like I say, when it comes to, <clears throat> To people, I don't think people change much. You know, I, I, I catch up with these people and scratch. You so know, you're, scratch. Basically, you're basically showing the hypocrisy of it all. Yeah, it was a bit of get even. It was a bit of, yeah, it was definitely hypocrisy. Yeah. I mean, it was clearly obvious to anybody that was at close range. And I mean, look, we can see the evidential stuff. What used to be um, considered to be... I don't know, dissenting, mm. is now commonplace. I mean, have a look at the safe injecting facility or the conversation that's going around about pill testing or yeah. even assisted dying legislation or yeah. gay marriage. These things back in the 90s would have considered to be radical, um, but now they're considered commonplace. But going back to your um, original point about what was I doing in the 90s, I don't know. By that stage, I'd buckled down, and I wasn't just working for the. I, I quit the newspapers and went to work in, you know, with computers and for an accounting firm and so forth. I went sort of. Legit, I went yeah, right, legit. Yeah, I went pinstripe, yeah. and. Um, well, you look so, good in a pinstripe. You haven't got an ounce of fat on you, you know. <laughs> you, haven't got, you, haven't, you haven't got a gut to hide, and you're looking pretty healthy. So, I reckon if you'd had a shave, you know, and put a bit of perfume on, you'd be a really good pinstriped. CEO. I reckon you should take me to your restaurant. I don't know what you've been eating up there in Northern Territory, but whatever it is, it looks like you've had about half a dozen crocodiles. And no, more than half a dozen crocodiles, mate. Yeah, it's, that's the trouble of holidays. You tend to eat. Yeah. There's nothing else to do. No, well, you never look better, Doc. No, I do need. You know, I do need to lose weight. Maybe I'll join your gym. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Come, I'll take you. I'll take you push bike riding. All right. So, yeah. Uh, so, what, did you join a political party in the nineties, or did you form a political party or something? Now, well, apart from, well, we did this thing, you know, well, it, it was under the auspices of what's colloquially known, or it used to be known as NORML, which is an acronym for the National Organisation for Reform of Marijuana Laws. Right. So well, we were gung-ho about this. You were of, involved in that? I was the secretary. You were the secretary. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. And Tony, um, he was the president or whatever. Yeah. But, um, no, as far as political parties, I've been non-partisan, I've I've never really been attracted to political parties at that level. Um, but you got attracted to normal. You actually formed the organisation, or you just joined at the early stage? No, it's like a like a franchise operation. I right. mean, the the name was taken. It was occupied. The name was registered, I think, in New South Wales, but in Victoria at the time, it hadn't been the name hadn't been registered or occupied by anybody. So it was just like, all you got to do is, you know. Mm. You, you do. You just claim the name, and yep. and that's what we did. It wasn't a political party. It was just a just a ragtag bunch of you know misfits like right. Tony and I and a few others. That right. um, well, what, were you, what were you trying to do? Well, primarily to stop Operation Noah, right, and highlight the fact that um, you know things were going out of control back in those days, Doctor. I mean, at that stage back in the early nineteen eighties, you could. Um, it was serious. Like it, I'm talking about Queensland now, but um, for example, two grams, which was common, two grams of hash, 
example, which was commonplace. I mean, you'd buy yeah, it in any yeah. pub yeah, anywhere. Right. You'd get mandatory 15 years in jail. That's right. Yeah, in good Queensland. Old, good old Bielke Peterson era. It, it, it was equivalent to armed robbery. Yeah. It was equivalent to going to a bank with a shotgun. Yep, yep. And so it was for real. So back in those days, although it might not seem political in modern day terms, uh, back in those days it was it was cut and thrust. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. what we were trying to do, I guess, was just to, as you as you said a moment ago, to put a highlight to the hypocrisy. Yeah. Not at all. All right, let's move into the 21st century. We've been Goodness here 18 me. years, you know. This is our 19th year in the 21st century. Hmm. Can you believe it? This is the 19th year. I can actually remember the 2000 year celebrations. I can't remember anything after that. But I can remember the 2000 turning, but now 2019, extraordinary. Well, I can imagine a, a bloke that has as much fun as you do, the time must go very fast. It goes exceptionally fast. <laughs> now, we're getting back to you. I'm interviewing you. You're not interviewing me, Pat. I, I don't fall for that. Way. I was, I was going to start asking you questions. No, though. it doesn't work that way, mate. I got, uh, I got the paddle on the canoe. Uh, next all time right, so did you, did you stay in computers and all accountancy and all that stuff with your pinstripe soup, or did you step out of it? Yeah, I did. I, yeah, I went through. I worked as a systems engineer and uh, worked for several companies, you know, big companies and stuff like that. Did mm. sort of installations of Unix systems and a what? You know, they, they're like you know the ones that you don't see, the ones that are in the air conditioned rooms. All oh, right, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. I did IBM 3270s, Vax VMS mainframes. Windows NT boxes and all that sort of stuff and went around doing that sort of thing, that caper for a while. That was good. Right. And then as probably anybody that was around at the time would realise that around the time of the... Uh, <laughs> they called it the Y2K bug. <laughs> Everything was meant to explode. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I was around for that. That must have been really good. You would have been getting a lot of money over time. It was maybe. simple. Yeah. I've never seen anything so simple because all yeah. you had to do was say to the boss, just replace every computer. Yeah. You didn't actually have to do any work. You just yeah. say, you know, there's 30 computers or whatever, 150 computers. You just buy new ones. Yeah. And there was tax advantages and so forth. So yeah. Yeah. it was happening all over. There was hundreds and hundreds of thousands of computers right. just being replaced for no good reason. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody, they take their fingernails and rub it on their shirts and... Uh, yes. Pat themselves on the back and say they did a job well done. Yeah. Well, I was there for that. Yeah. <laughs> I was there for that. You were, hopefully, were you selling computers? <laughs> no, I was just I was just getting paid to put them in. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was it was it was a funny time, you know. Y two K. I don't know where it got us, but um, for somehow uh, I think nothing bad happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you expect anything bad to happen? Me? Yeah. Oh, no, I, with the date stamp on the on the clocks and so forth. No, it wasn't good. Nothing. nothing was, I never thought anything was going to happen. I don't know nothing about computers. I'm thinking, what's all this about? Now you've told me. Thank you. It was about selling more computers. Now <laughs> I know. Now I know. <laughs> I didn't realise what it was about. Now I know. It was about making a quick buck. Yeah, it was just a turnover. And you can make yourself, like in the place I was working, and I was working at the Department of Education at the time, you can make yourself a little empire. Yeah, you yeah. know, if you're in indispensable. indispensable. If you're in control of a rollout of like 1,500 computers. Yeah, yeah. Now you're playing golf. Yeah. You're, go, you're going to lunch. Right. You're, you're getting invited. You're getting promoted. You're right, right. getting. You're hanging yeah. out with the boss. Yeah. yeah. So long as you get to about you know thousand, two thousand, three, five thousand, ten thousand computers, yeah. now you're talking big money. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just. A, it was a caper. It yeah. was a. <laughs> it really was. 
I mean, I, I was, I was just a, you know, I was just a dog's body, yeah, yeah, getting yeah. chicken feed, but yeah, so, yeah. in comparison, yeah, yeah. And so after that, I, I pulled the pin, and, and uh, what year was this? You pulled the pin? Two thousand. Yeah. Why? I developed a. That's a really curious question. I don't know why you ask me all these questions, but um, you've been interviewed. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up getting what they call a cervical spondylosis in C3 and C4 and C6 and C7 and it it sort of paralyzes your arm and it's Mm. um Mm. and it goes like that and uh I knew I needed to take a holiday from the computers so I took a sabbatical and um just things cascaded out and from there well not downward but sideways and uh I ended up going back to what is probably my first love and I ended up um managing a hotel a hotel. Yeah, a pub. Yeah. Where? Where? The Rising Sun Hotel in Ligon Street. All right. Yeah, opposite the cemetery. How long did you manage that? Well, it's or? not the cemetery, it's a graveyard because yeah. only some of it's consecrated ground. But That's right. So how long did you manage that for? Well, I wasn't... Gordon was was actually managing it. I was just doing sort of like the day shift. And that right. went on for, I don't know, five years or something. Five six years. years something yeah. like that, well, yeah. What's that like, running a pub in the middle, in the CBD, basically? Hilarious. <laughs> absolutely hilarious. We had a great time. Yeah. It was absolutely number one. It was right. like, open the door in the morning. It was fun. <laughs> like, it was just fun. It was fun city from start to finish. finish. We, uh, we took the pub from running two kegs a week yeah. when I turned up, and we were running, I think, about 12 kegs a week, a week. by the yeah. time we finished. It was so just how many pots in a keg? Oh, I can't remember now, but um, there's got to be, you know, well, I don't know, a couple of hundred pots. A couple of hundred, yeah. At least, you know, so a keg costs you, what, a thousand bucks, and you, yeah. you sell, I don't know, 500 pots out of it, five yeah. bucks each or something. Yeah. If you put a bit of water in, it goes further, I guess. Well, it's funny, you can, <laughs> <laughs> you can, if you get a spare keg from down in Geelong, like if you get a, a keg of Geelong bitter, you can daisy chain them out. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so no one knows. You can even put, you know, you put a keg of light on the end of the daisy chain, and <laughs> yeah. no one's going to know the difference. Especially, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, if you've got the band playing, yeah, yeah. no one's going to know yeah. after about three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Not that that ever happened. No, they call it spillage, Doctor. Spillage, that's Yeah, they right. call it spillage. Right. What have you been doing for the last few years? Uh, well, on and off, I've been, um, I don't know, just minding my business and keeping my nose clean, yeah. that sort of thing. Well, you've been listening to Free CR, I understand. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd better believe it. I, I almost, I'm old enough to almost remember when 3CR started. So um, you're what? You're a regular listener, are you? Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm... Talking like I was talking to you last night about what is the nature of a radical and where does a radical come from? Mm. Yeah, I just I digest a, a lot of what happened over the last few years uh, that comes bubbling out of this joint. Um, whether it's you or Robbie Thorpe or you know, Annie McLaughlin or Palestine remembered or you know the dogs or the Unitarians or you know the list goes on and on. Yeah, I've been listening to 3CR for a long time and I can see. What the, where the radicals come from and what's coming out of 3CR. It makes me recall, just for a moment, uh, if you don't mind, uh, I remember listening to, on Robbie Thorpe's program, a guy called John Lawrence, who's a QC up in Darwin, who's mm-hmm. been the council leading the Royal Commission into the Don Dale inquiry. Yeah. He made the point really pertinently, it's germane to this conversation, he said that the, the stuff that's coming out of the out of the mob round here, the Collingwood Fitzroy mob, and particularly out of what's coming out of 3CR, 
is so well um, thought of. You know, it, it gives such uh, an inspiration to people that are up there. You know, they think they're, they think they're on their own. You probably noticed this when you were up in the Northern Territory recently. But, yeah, I've been listening to 3CR for a long time, and um, I know from the research that I've read that for the people that turn up at a demonstration, such as uh, Defend and Extend Public Housing or the Wednesday Action Group or PIBC or whatever it is, there's, for every one person that gets out and about, there's probably six or eight people that just can't make it for whatever reason. Mm. And I know, you know, people that are listening today, they're going to appreciate it that, you know, if they couldn't make it for one reason or another, they're sort of, they're there anyway. You think it's still worthwhile being involved in struggle as you get older or should you just sit down and uh, rest on your laurels and drink yourself to death? What do you reckon? Oh, it's more important than ever. Um, I was listening to your show this morning and I I, I I kind of agree with you. I think there's no reason to expect that this coming year is going to be any better than last year. In fact, I, I expect it's going to be probably worse. And the, the same with 2020. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be positive. Yes, there is a definitely... You know, you look at a small number of people that were involved with Defend and Extend Public Housing, or you look at a large number of people that were involved with last year's Invasion Day, mm. you can see that whether it's a small group of dedicated people that are prepared to spend, say, 10, years, uh, 10 days straight or whether it's a massive lump of people that come out when they get the chance to do so, there is absolutely no doubt that this coming year there's there's, um, a big necessity for activists and they can also achieve great... Particularly if you look in the context of these... What I find it hard to describe, but this guy, Fraser Anning, for example, Mm. where you see those the neo-fascists wiggling their toes down. They like St Kilda Beach for some reason. Uh, syringes. <laughs> I wish they'd... I, I seriously <laughs> wish they'd find a few. <laughs> now, Pat, just in case... Yeah, I know no, this is hard to believe. No, just in case we've got... No any, more curly questions. No, 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 no. You're going to give advice. All right. Just in case we've got somebody under 20 listening to this radical Australia... Which no is, one's going to be listening to me by now. No, no, no. Hang on. Have you got any advice for the young... For the up-and-coming radical? That's a good question. Again, another good question. Yeah, I mean, I, when I talk to young people, I... Yeah, I, I, without equivocation, I'd say to get involved with the policy. I was, I was talking to a young person. She said to me the other day, she said, I'm not old enough to vote. I said, it doesn't matter. You're going to be voting for a long time soon. Mm-hmm. And I give her some of the Pipsy literature. Yeah. She had a glance over it, and yeah. I could tell she wasn't into party politics, no. but she was into the policy. Yeah. And policy, so yeah. if I was going to talk yeah. to somebody under the age of 20, I'd say don't get confused by the personalities or the parties. Yeah. Just yeah. focus on the policies and yeah. don't yeah. back away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're lucky, you can end up like <laughs> crusty old people like me. <laughs> yeah. So well, look, I have been, this has been an extraordinary conversation. I always have an extraordinary conversation. I've got the knack of actually pulling out things out of people which they haven't thought of. And it started off really well with your, uh, with your uh, idea about the uh, earth singing to us uh, down at, down at uh, yeah. Buxton. It's funny, I, I've never told anybody that before, no, but it, it's, no. it's one of those things that has lingered, yeah, uh, yeah. and it still does. You know, yeah, it's it been does, nearly yeah. 50 years, and I carry that with me. 
Well, you get that feeling of spirituality when you're in a big, wide desert and there's nothing there except the stars and yeah, uh, and death, basically. And it it, it does. Fence. It sings to you. It's yeah. not it's not just the wires and the fences. No. no. So, Pat, thank you for coming in. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you for bearing your soul, and hopefully you will have influenced one person out there. (laughs) That's all we hope to do on Radical Australia. One's good enough for me. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And Jane's come in to uh, bring in the next program. Do you know that? 3CR, 365 days a year, 366 in Libya, 24 hours a day, you know, for over 41 years. Think about it. Extraordinary. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Jane. Thanks, Doctor.